Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this Sunday morning to be in your house to worship you. And Lord Jesus, we do believe, as your word says in John 14, 6, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Father God in heaven, we do believe that you are a good, good father. And you are reigning on your throne in heaven above. And we give you thanks, Lord, for your sovereignty. You're in complete control. Your goodness. Your grace. And your mercy displayed to us through your son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, now, as we transition into studying your word, Father, let the fellowship continue. Let your Holy Spirit do his work in our hearts. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You may have a seat. It's great to see everyone this morning. How's everybody doing? Hey, go ahead, go ahead. Praise the Lord. God is good. God is good. God is good. All the time. Amen, amen, amen. So this morning, we are looking at 1 Peter Chapter 3, we're going to finish up 1 Peter chapter 3, looking at verses uh, 13 through uh, 22. So turning your Bibles to, this morning to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll, we're going to read the first couple of verses so we can get our minds and our hearts oriented in the direction that the text has taken us this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, the scripture says, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Father, again, thank you for your word. And Lord, as we finish this chapter this morning, let us understand what's taken place as this, this text is being written to your people. And Father, help us to apply it to our lives today. In Jesus' name I pray, Lord God. Amen. Amen. The title of my message this morning, the title that I'm given for this text as I teach it, is Living in Difficult Times. Living in Difficult Times. And, you know, living in the last days, living in difficult times. When I mean difficult, I'm talking about when things are not going the way Christians want them to go. Basically, living in an ungodly culture. When we're living in a culture where the, the values are not lining up with Christianity. As you and I move closer and closer to the rapture of the church, that's when the Lord Jesus Christ himself splits that eastern sky. Living a faithful Christian life is going to become more and more difficult, I believe. Paul says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, 
talking about the last days leading up to the return of Christ. He says, but realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they deny its power. And the scripture says there, avoid such men as these. There's a new trouble. There's a new trouble for believers today. For true Christianity, for, for, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and for biblical values, they are public enemy number one in a fallen world when you stand for the truth of scriptures. And when you stand for them, when you stand for what the scripture says, you can expect to, to face ridicule, to face persecution, to, to, to even suffer loss. So the question that I pose to you this morning and the question that I want to answer in my exposition of scripture is how do we live in difficult times? Because the scripture says it right there in Timothy. Difficult times will come. So how do we live in difficult times? And again, I want to define that word difficult. When I say difficult times, I mean the ungodly world that we're living in. I believe that is exactly what Peter has in mind as he's writing this letter to the Jewish believers of the dispersion, the dispersion of the persecution that was taking place. They were experiencing heat for standing for Christ. So he's going to give them clear instructions on how to respond. And it's amazing that 2,000 years later, the word of God is still applicable for us today. So let's take a look at it, family. Let's take a look at how do you and I live in difficult days? How do you and I live in difficult times? Look at verse 13. I want to go verse by verse and just pull the treasures out of here, the truth out of here, and let's talk about it this morning. But verse 13, he says, he starts off, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? The first principle I present to you this morning in living in difficult times is you got to have a passion for doing what is good. You got to have a passion for doing what is good. What is doing good? What is doing good according to Scripture? Doing good according to Scripture is obeying God. Is, 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 is your obedience is to God and His Word and God alone. To walk in integrity. To walk in integrity. That's doing good, that we walk in integrity. To refuse compromise. To, to see the direction the world is going in and saying, you know what? Home slice here ain't having no part of this ungodly deeds, this ungodly culture. But we're to refuse compromise. We're to live holy, dedicated lives. That's what it means to do what is good. And notice he, he's asking a question there, but he notice he says, if you prove zealous... So in our doing good, in our standing strong, we need to do it with a zeal. We need to do it with a zeal. What does that word zeal mean? 
That word zeal means to do it with a passion. To do it with a passion and say, I am not ashamed of my faith. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to do it with all the fire inside of me that I can. I'm going to live passionately, zealously for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, he's asking a question. If you notice, there's a question mark on the end of verse 13. And he's asking a question, who will harm us? Likely no one. Likely, let's be honest, likely no one will hurt us except for those who are bent against Christianity. Whether it's the political government or the culture, you know, they're constantly trying to put their thumb on Christians and tell us what to believe and how to live. But we don't bow to them. We bow to the authority of God's word. So what do we do for those who would um, seek to harm us? What does the church do for those who would seek to harm them? It's simple. We share the gospel with them. We share the gospel with them. And even those who oppose Christianity, we, we pray for them. We pray fervently for them. We pray for them and we love them like nobody's business. That's the biblical response to those who oppose Christianity is that we pray for them and we love them with the love of Christ. And our goal is to win them over to Christ, to, to bring them to the knowledge of the Savior. Because you and I were once on the other side also. You know, you and I were once on the other side, on the outside looking in, you know, and, and but God has melted our hearts. He's caused us to be born again through trusting in Christ, and now we seek to do good. Let's look at verse 14, the next verse. Verse 14 says, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed, and do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. The principle I pull from this verse, verse 14, is this, is you and I, we do not fear, and we are not troubled by the culture that's going against Christianity or those that are persecuting the body of Christ. Look at verse 14. Let's break verse 14 down into three parts. The first part of verse 14 says, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness. Friends and family, you will suffer persecution. You will suffer hatred when you stand for biblical values. Matthew chapter 19, verse 5, Jesus said, for this for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. If you hold to the biblical definition of marriage, you will catch heat in this culture. You, may, you, will, you will likely suffer loss if we say, no, marriage is not between two men. It's not between two women. It's between a man and one woman. That's the clear definition of Scripture. And we have to stand for that in a spirit of grace, in a spirit of love, in a spirit of truth, but we have to stand for it. But we will catch heat for it. John 14, 6, we all know this verse by heart. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And if you and I as Christians in the day and age we're living in, if we hold to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, that he is the only way to God and all other ways of lie all other ways are a lie, we will catch flack. We will catch heat for our faith because we live in a world that wants to be all-inclusive 
You know, we're all singing kumbaya. You know, we all got our different religions. And that's just not true. Jesus said it in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. If you stand for biblical truth, you will not win the world's favor. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15. John 15, verses 18 through 20. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Christ suffered. Christ suffered for speaking against the darkness and sin of this world. Christians, are you and I willing to follow in his footsteps? Are we willing to suffer for the sake of Christ? That's a question that, that, that we honestly all need to ask ourselves. Is my faith that valuable? Is my relationship that strong? Is my love that deep for the Lord Jesus Christ that I will stand for him no matter what? That, my friend, is devotion. That, my friend, is what God calls us to, to be completely devoted to him and to stand for what is right and what is good and to not be conformed, not be conformed and to not bow down. Now, we do this in a spirit of love. We do this in a spirit of grace. We do this in a spirit of truth. We're not arrogant. We're not boastful. We're not proud. We're not mean-spirited. We're not angry. We do it with love and compassion and truth. And we're not looking down the barrel of our nose, but the bottom line is we do it. We love him that much, and we stand for him. Then he says the second part of verse 14, he says what? Look at that phrase, a very important phrase there. He said right there in the middle of line two, you are blessed. You are blessed is what Jesus says. But that means you have found favor with God. It means you are highly privileged in his kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 and 12, he says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets uh, who were before you. So first thing he says there, uh, you're blessed for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven. Friends and family, when you stand for Christ, you are heavenly honored. You are, you are honored in heaven. You're honored in the kingdom of heaven. And at the very end of it, it says, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who are before you, you are in a special class of people when you stand for Christ. You're following in, in, in the footsteps of the faithful throughout church history, through the apostles, through the disciples, through the prophets, through all those who've gone before us, that I am going to live for Christ and Christ alone. And his word is, gonna, his word is truth, and his word is going to be my truth. That's devotion to Christ, and that's what he's calling us to as we move closer and closer to the, re, the return, his return. And then finally, he says there in verse 14, I love this. He says, and do not fear their intimidation. 
and do not be troubled. When things are going south and things are not going the way we want them, you and I as believers need to take a deep breath and stay calm. Take a deep breath and stay calm and do not let our hearts be troubled. We need to remember the words of Christ. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. We do not fear and we are not troubled by the ungodly culture around us. Why? Because we don't live to please them. We don't live to please them. We live to please God. And we take those opportunities when things are going south and people are making bad decisions, ungodly decisions, we use those as segue to share the gospel, to share the gospel of Christ. And instead of being, you know, being judgmental and looking down the barrel of our throat, we say, hey, brother, hey, friend, hey, government, hey, whoever's going against the Lord, there's a better way. There's a better way, and it's God's way. It's the truth, following the truths of Scripture. When we follow the truth of the Bible, we are blessed. When you follow the truth of the Bible, you are blessed. When our country follows the truth of the Bible, they are blessed. And that's what he calls us to. Let's continue. Verse 15. Verse 15 says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, is what verse 15 says. Let's break this one down. Verse 15, first thing he says in this verse, he says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. The third principle, if you're taking notes this morning, how to live in these days leading up to his return is you make your heart his home. Make your heart his home. That word sanctify, when it says sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, that word sanctify in relation to our hearts and our relationships with the Lord, it means this. It means to set him apart as Lord of your life. Think about it. Examine it closely. Consider your relationship with Christ and say, Lord Jesus, you are my Lord, and I will follow you all the days of my life. And in following you all the days of my life, I will give you the highest place of honor in my life. That's the Christian life, is we understand this beautiful, glorious gospel. We understand that we were wretches. We were lost in our sins. We were headed to hell but then Christ came into our lives. And through his cross, we've been forgiven. Through his resurrection, we've been given new life. And now the Holy Spirit's indwelling us. And because of that, understanding the gospel, we give him the highest place of honor in our life. Four things. We adore him. We adore him with everything we have. We exalt him. We exalt him with our lips. We exalt him with our life. We exalt him with everything that we want to do. We worship him. You know, worship uh, does take place on Sunday mornings as we're singing in here, lifting our hands, singing our songs, worshiping him from our hearts. But we worship him Monday through Friday. We worship him throughout every single day of the week by the way we live our lives. We love him. That word to sanctify him, to set him apart, means we love him more than anything. That's the essence of the Christian faith. 
That's the essence of the Christian faith, is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, everything that, that you have. But that love will grow deeper, and that devotion will grow deeper the more you get into the Word and the more you understand what He did for you at Calvary. So we, we sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts. The second part of the verse, he says, Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. That word defense there, the Greek word is apologia, from whence we get the word uh, apologetics. But the fourth principle for living in difficult times is we as Christians need to be prepared to share our faith and defend our faith. That's very, very important. We don't shy away from sharing the whole gospel, okay? We don't shy away from sharing the whole gospel. We talk about the good news and the bad news, okay? The bad news is, is that all men are sinners. All men are under God's wrath. All men are heading for eternal destruction. But that's the bad news. But the good news is God has done something for us to keep that from happening, to give us an eternity instead of eternal torment, eternal heaven, instead of being weighted down by the guilt of our sin, to give us a new heart. And we need to be able to share that, that Jesus died on the cross to forgive men and women of their sins, okay? We need to be, be able to share the whole gospel to explain what sin is. What is sin? Sin is not boo-boos. Sin is not owies. According to 1 John 3, 4, sin is transgression of God's moral law. It's when we lie, we lust, we steal, we cheat, we dishonor our parents. When we break his moral law, that is what sin is. And then the gospel, what did God do so I could be forgiven of my sin? You know, uh, I asked somebody this past week, you know, what is the gospel? Well, um, be a good person. No, um, get baptized. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus died on the cross so that you could be forgiven of your sins. It's a completely free gift, okay? That's what we need to be able to communicate that to people. No, man, it's a completely free gift. There's nothing you can do on your part except turn from your sins and put your trust in Christ. It's a free, free gift that we give our lives to him. We need to be able to, 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 to um, defend the Christian faith. You know, Jude says in Jude 3, he says, we are to contend for the faith once and for all entrusted to God's holy people. You know, we need to know the word and we need to defend the word. And when we hear false teachers, we need to call them out. When we hear heretical teaching, we need to call it out. You know, not in a spirit of grace and a spirit of truth, but call it out and say, no, that's not what the scripture teaches. You know, we, we, God is who he is and his word is, is what it is. And through a careful study and, and, and understanding it, we should always be able to defend the truth. Now, how many of you guys are a, a Navy SEAL Christian? We got any Navy SEAL Christians in the house? We got any Rambo Christians in the house? Man, th- you know who those are, right? Those are the ones, man, they, they're just ready to blast people. They're just ready to people, let, let, let them have it. They're just ready to smack them upside the head. And, and, and boldly proclaim the truth and blow people up. Look at the very end of the verse. Look at the very end of the verse. Now, I'm, I'm all for speaking the truth in love. I'm all for no compromise. 
But we've got to be careful with our body language, okay? We've got to be careful with our body language, and we've got to be careful the way we talk to people, you know? We want people's hearts to be open to what we have to say, okay? So we don't want to necessarily be the, the Rambo or the Navy SEAL and just blow the place up. We want to, people to give us an opportunity to share the gospel in the spirit of truth and grace. And he says there, yet with gentleness and reverence. If you're that Navy SEAL Christian or that Rambo Christian, you, know, you might just want to circle that and meditate on it. That's the way we communicate the gospel. That's the way we stand for the faith. That's the way we defend the faith. We do it with, the scripture says, look in your Bible, my Bible, the NSB says, with gentleness and reverence. This is how, this is how you and I share the gospel. This is how you and I defend the truth, okay? This is how we stand for the truth. You and I as Christians, we are not jerks when it comes to standing for the truth. We are not unloving when it comes to standing for the truth. We are not arrogant when it comes to uh, standing for the truth. We do it with a humble, compassionate heart because that person's eternity depends on what they do with, with the gospel. And we don't want to put nothing in the mix that would cause them to turn away from Christ. But we want to give them every opportunity to understand the gospel, to receive the gospel, to believe the gospel, so that they can understand God's love, God's truth, God's grace. That's what we want to do. So he says there, again in verse 15, and this is, this is written in multiple places throughout the New Testament, that we are to be a witness, share the gospel, defend the faith in a spirit of gentleness and reverence with the hopes that we can win them to Christ. That's how we live as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ. I don't know about you, but if you're, if you're looking at social media, you're watching the news, and you're getting the understanding the spirit of the times that we're living in, Hearts are growing harder and harder. I'm just, I'm just being honest. You know, all the unrest in our country, hearts are getting harder and harder. And we need to pray, seek the Lord in a spirit of gentleness and reverence. You know, they, they're, they're, people are watching social media, they're watching the news, and people are just laying the wood. People are just, are just are preaching you know, politics and religion and people's hearts are just going harder and harder. But how you and I get the gospel through to them depends a lot on our body language, okay? And we need to do it in a spirit of gentleness and reverence, in a spirit of love and a spirit of truth. Don't compromise the truth. We speak the truth in love. The good news, the bad news, all of the news. Let's continue. Verse 16. Verse 16, the scripture says, and keep a good conscience so that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Fifth principle, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, as, as we grow closer and closer to his return, is we need to maintain a good conscience. You know what that word conscience means? It means uh, with knowledge. Uh, Romans chapter 2 says this. It says that God has placed his law on the conscience of every man. In other words, we, we inherently know in our conscience the difference between right and wrong. You don't have to tell someone it's wrong to murder. They know it's wrong to murder. You don't have to tell someone it's wrong to lie. 
They inherently know. Why? Because God has placed his moral law on our hearts. And keeping, and I believe all men have that. Lost, Christian, all people have a conscience. But when a person becomes a Christian, they have, in addition to that, good, that conscience, they now have the Holy Spirit. They have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. So, but keeping a good conscience, verse 16, means we do what is right. We, we do what is right. A good conscience will say to you, it will speak to you, and it will say, ah, all is well. A guilty conscience will say, hmm, all is not well. I need to get things right. And you and I, we need to think our actions completely through. We need to think our actions and our deeds and our things that we do, think them completely through and always be loving, compassionate, and kind and doing all things with a good conscience. And he says, so that those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. You know, the people will slander the Christian, but at the end of the day, they'll know that the Christian was acting in love. That's what we need to have. We need to have a, a good conscience in these last days. Verse 17. Verse 17, he says, For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for what is than doing what is wrong. The principle there, this is really connected to verse 16, but if I had to pull something from verse 16 to challenge you with this morning, it is this, we always do what is right. We make it our goal, we make it our purpose, we, we make it our desire, and we follow through, and we do our very best to do what is right. You ready for this? No matter what the consequences are. If you tell the truth from the beginning, it'll be a whole lot easier than if you start off with a lie. Just tell the truth. Be truthful. Be honest. No matter what the consequences are. You know, this is our witness before the Lord that we operate with a good conscience. And notice that phrase right there in the middle. You know, he's talking about in verse 17, he's talking about suffering for doing what is right, okay? But look at the phrase before that in verse 17. If God should will it so. In other words, he's saying, if it does happen, if it does happen, understand this, that God wills and permits difficulties in our life, challenges in our life to do what? To help us grow. To help us grow. When you face challenges in life, when you face difficulties in life, God allows them. Look at your verse. If God will, should will it so. If it does happen, it's God's will. He will permit it to help you grow. And also, I would like to add one to that. It will prove the authenticity of our faith. It, it'll prove the realness of our faith. When we face challenges, when we face difficulties. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I will be at the front of the line saying many times I've faced difficulties in life, I've faced challenges in life, and I have fallen. I have fallen, I have compromised, and I've had to repent and ask the Lord to forgive me. And he has forgiven me, and he has restored me. But as I, but as I grow, as you grow, as a Christian, our, 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 our commitment to doing what is right should grow stronger 
and stronger. And God will permit things to come into our life so that they will cause us to grow. Cause us to grow. That's what it's about, family. That's what it's about as we move closer and closer. I don't think we need to head to the mountains, dig a cavern, and store up supplies. I think we need to be salt and light in the world we live and show people the love of Christ. Show people the grace of God. Show people that there is a way, and his name is Jesus. As that song Kevin and the worship team was singing. Let's continue verse 18. Now, most commentators and most preachers will stop at verse 17. They'll stop at verse 17, and they separate verse 17 from verse 18, and they, they try to shift subjects. Because now he's, he's, it sounds like he's fixing to make a shift in subjects because he's, he's going to start talking about how Christ died for our sins and some of the things that took place between his death and resurrection. But I want you to, I want you to look at the opening of verse 18. It says, um, for Christ also died. Okay, that word also, that third word of the verse is also is an adverb. It means in addition to, likewise. So actually what Peter is doing in verse 18, he is connecting Jesus' suffering to the suffering that we have experienced. He says, for Christ also. When he uses that word also, he's connecting it to the suffering that the Christians were going in. And then it says, for Christ also died. If you have the NASB translation or the Amplified translation, it translates that word as, as, as died. But all other translations, the ESV, the King James, the NIV, all the other translators, they translate that word suffered. They translate that word suffered. And I believe the King James and the ESV and those other translations <clears throat> got it better because the word is this used in the original language is the, is the Greek word that's used for suffered. So it's saying, for Christ also suffered. Now we know as Christians, how did he suffer? He died on the cross. It being, it, using the word die there is a perfectly great word because that was how Christ suffered but the, but, but, from dying on the cross. But the point is this. The point as we move into verse 18, this is not a change in subject, but this is a transition from the believer's suffering and his difficulties he goes through <clears throat> that he finds his strength and his will to move forward in the sufferings of Christ. Okay? So now we're looking at our, our, our example of the one who suffered and went before us. So he says, for Christ also died or suffered. He died for sins once for all. Have you ever told a lie? That's a violation of the ninth commandment. I have. That is why Jesus died on the cross. Have you ever stolen anything? That's a violation of the eighth of the Ten Commandments. Guilty. That's why Jesus, that's why Jesus died on the cross. Have you, have you ever uh, used God's name in vain, used it as a curse word? Uh, the Bible scripture says God would not hold him guiltless. He uses his name in vain. That is why Jesus died on the cross. It says he died for sins once for all. He died to forgive us 
for our sins. Look at the next phrase in verse 18. He says, the just for the unjust. You want to talk about suffering. You want to talk about going through difficult times in this life. You want to talk about the challenges that Christians face and, and the things that believers have to go to. Think about Christ. Think about Christ. Jesus was the sinless, pure, perfect Son of God, the Lamb of God. He never done no wrong. He lived a perfect, holy life. He, if there was anybody on this planet that did not deserve to suffer, it was Jesus. Because he never done no wrong. Because he was God. But the one who done no wrong, the one who never made no mistakes, never sinned, was loving, compassionate, caring, the, the very, very God himself, pure and perfect and holy. He bore the wrath of God. He bore the wrath of God at Calvary. And he was punished for our sins. So Jesus dies on the cross. Imagine this funnel. You know, a funnel is very wide on the top and very narrow at the bottom. Imagine Jesus dying on the cross and the, the very bottom of the funnel, the very tip point at the end of it is directly over the cross. And the funnel is the size of the universe. And all the punishment for all the sins of the world, for, for all of my sin, all of us, all the millions, trillions of ever how many number of believers there are on planet Earth, all of it was poured out on him to save us from eternal torment of hell. That's what this phrase, it says, the just for the unjust. Uh, Jesus is the just, and he did it for the unjust. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, For God demonstrates his own love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died. That's love, friend. That's love. That is the purest, holiest, amazing definition of love to mankind. The word love, I, I say we take a vote and send it to Webster's Dictionary, and they need to scratch out the definition for love as affection, blah, 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 and put love and just put the cross. That is love. That is the love of God, where Jesus the just died for the unjust. And then he noticed, noticed there, it says, so that he might bring us to God. He might bring us to God. Jesus died on the, when Jesus died on the cross to provide a way for salvation. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he picks you up by the hand and he takes you into the Father's presence. He takes you into the Father's presence. You remember back in the Old Testament, they had the veil that kept people out of the uh, Holy of Holies. If you were to go back there, you, were to be, you would be struck dead because of God's holiness. But what happened when Jesus died on the cross? The veil was what? It was torn in two. It was torn in two so that all those who believe in Jesus, who trust in Jesus, you, me, believers, he picks us up and takes us into the throne room of God. He takes us to the Father. We don't have to be scared. We, we, we don't have to run. We don't have to hide. We don't have to hide in our shame, in our guilt, 
and our remorse for past decisions, Jesus says, all that is forgiven. All that is forgiven. Everything you've ever done wrong, all the sins are forgiven. And he takes you by the hand and he takes you into your loving heavenly Father's presence. It says right there, so that, verse 18, he might bring us to God. That's amazing. That's amazing. That was his mission in coming to earth. His mission in coming to earth was not to establish some religion or some tradition or to create uh, anarchy or start a revolt. His job in coming to earth was to bring you and I to the Father. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. To, to bring you into a new and intimate relationship. So now, today, because you're in Christ, if you sin and you blow it, you can run to the Father. You can run to the Father, and he will not cast you away. 1 John, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all sin. Again, 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. Why? Because he wants to be in an intimate relationship with you. He wants to be in an intimate relationship with me. He's, Jesus has brought us to the Father. You're in a right relationship with the creator of the universe. How amazing is that? You have the peace of God. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you. That's amazing. Awesome truth. I could, I could stay here all day. For Christ also suffered. So when we go, so as, again, as we're living in challenging days and times get more and more difficult to live a faithful Christian life and there's that temptation to compromise, here's, what, here's the application. Remember Christ. Remember Christ. As, as, he was, as he was taken to Calvary, the Via Della Rosa, and he was going to the cross, he had you in his mind. And if you've seen the Passion or if you've read the Scriptures, you know it was not an easy path. It was a very difficult one, a path of suffering. Let's continue on. Halfway through verse 18, he says, "Having we're going we're gonna to go through verse 20. Having put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Now, family, right here is a really cool passage, okay? For, for you deep thinkers who, who really love theology and love the Scriptures, we're fixing to enter into a very cool passage, so please pay attention. Having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, he's talking about the time between Jesus' death on the cross on that Friday in that early Sunday morning. What took place Friday night? What took place on that Saturday? We know what happened with those disciples. Man, their world had been rocked. They were in despair. But Jesus, he was taking care of business. He was taking care of business. Look at verse 19. It says, In which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits, now in prison, who once were disobedient with the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. The focus of verse 19 and 20 is not necessarily what happened in the days of Noah, but it's talking about what took place 
between his death and his resurrection. What, do we, what we believe happened to believers before Jesus' death is they went to a place called Sheol, okay? And Sheol had two compartments. It had Abraham's bosom. Uh, it's, it's talked about in, in the Gospel of Luke. I can't remember what chapter, but it's talked about in Luke. There's, the, there's Abraham's bosom, and then there's the place of torment, okay? And there was a chasm between those two, okay? Ephesians uh, talks about him uh, leading the captives, leading the Old Testament saints uh, out of there. But this text right here talks about what Jesus did with the side where the demons were, where, where the evil spirits were. You see, when, 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 there was a prophecy made in Genesis that what Jesus would do with the demons, what Jesus would do with Satan, is found in Genesis 3.15, where it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Between Jesus' death and his, his resurrection, he went and made a proclamation, a triumphal announcement to the demons in this place of torment, and to Satan and to all his minions, that you, he, he made a proclamation to them, but because of his death on the cross and what was accomplished at Calvary, Jesus was saying to these demons, you no longer have any authority over those who trust in me. Your chains on their life have been destroyed by the cross. That is the power of the cross for someone who is tormented by demons. Is, is the cross. Demons, Satan, they hate the cross because at the cross is where they were defeated. Is where their powers and their chains were broken at the power of the at the at the place of the cross where Jesus died. And Jesus there in verse 19 says, he went and made a proclamation to the spirits now in prison. We believe it's these, these demonic spirits that he made a proclamation to them that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they no longer have a hold on the people of God or for those who trust in Christ. And then, and, and he, so he makes this proclamation to them. The chains are broken. The, the captives have been set free. In verse 20, he says, Who were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is, eight persons who were brought safely through the water. There's other references in the New Testament to these demonic spirits, these evil spirits that were, I think it's Genesis chapter 6, where they were cast into the pit of hell. They were kept there in chains. And he's making a proclamation to them. But now he shifts um, in verse 21, he says, corresponding to that baptism that now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My baptismal regeneration friends would look at this verse and say, ha ha, look right there, verse 21, baptism saves. Water baptism saves. Uh, you got to be water baptized in order to experience salvation. And you would come up with that definition if you took that verse out of context. 
if you just took that one phrase, pulled it out of there, and ran with it, you would say, look, corresponding to the baptism that now saves you. But he's not talking about water baptism here. Look at the very next phrase after he says, um, a baptism that now saves you. He, sa- he makes it very clear. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh. In other words, this is not water baptism. This is not water baptism. But then he defines what the baptism here is being talked about in verse 21. He says, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is talking about the baptism of the Spirit. Where when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you become united with him in his death and resurrection, you receive a baptism of the Spirit where you're brought into the body of Christ. I believe that is what he is saying here. This is, this is not a passage, this is not a verse that you would use to try to prove that water baptism is essential for salvation because he makes it very clear there in the text. Not the removal of dirt, not the washing of water, but through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And our final verse this morning, remember the title of my message was Living in Difficult Times as we get closer and closer to his return. Verse 22, he says, Who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Christ came to this earth 2,000 years ago. And he accomplished his mission. He made a way for salvation. He made a way for all men to be forgiven. He made a way for all men to experience new life. He made a way for, uh, he laid an example. He, he, he demonstrated how you and I can live. He has gone before us, family. So in our difficult days, and the difficult days ahead that you may or may not experience, you may not. But if you do experience those difficult days, you do experience those challenging times, which I believe is coming upon our country. And we, we are heading in that direction. We haven't felt it yet. We're starting to get little tremors here and there around the world of what's going on with the church. But when it does come, be ready. Be ready. And remember, Christ has gone before us. He suffered And you and I, in closing this morning, looking at verse 22, what grabs me the greatest in this verse, it says, who is at the right hand of God? Right now at this moment, the Lord Jesus Christ, in all his radiance, all his glory, in all his beauty, in all his majesty, in all his holiness, is seated at the very right hand of the Father. And friends and family, you and I, we do not fear persecution. Why? Because Jesus is at the right hand of God. We do not follow or obey ungodly rulers. Why? Because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. We do not seek out suffering, okay? We're not running around saying, Kill me, kill me, persecute me. You know, we're not, we're not going around the world seeking out suffering. We want to live quiet, godly, productive lives and love people and minister to people. And we're not, we're not looking 
to suffer. We're not looking for difficult times. You know, but if it does come, we endure. And why do we endure? What, is, what does it say? Because Jesus is at the right hand of the God, of God, right hand of the Father. Our desire is to live for him who is at the right hand of God. So when we face challenging times, when we face difficulty in life, um, in family, um, in, in the culture, in the world, whatever difficulty you're going through, whatever challenge has come your way, whatever curveball has come your way, you can face it. Why? Because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he is our Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, thank you for 1 Peter chapter 3. Thank you for this book that was written to believers a long time ago that were taking a whooping for their faith. They were experiencing persecution. They were experiencing difficulty. They were experiencing very challenging times. But Lord, just like you told them there, you're telling us today to, to, to do good, to, to trust in Christ, to, to endure hardship, to be a witness. So Lord, we, uh, I pray, Father, for the application of this message in the heart of every believer this morning. Lord, let us endure, Father, for your glory and for your honor. Our hope is found in you, Lord Jesus, in you and you alone. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray this morning.